the best way forward would be uh, to twin the tunnel. The Premier hints at a new plan to replace the Massey Tunnel. Could the project finally be moving into the fast lane? Terrifying wake-up call. He flew down the street, parked in someone's driveway. Then there was a boom. A minivan torch in an Abbotsford driveway. What we know about the suspect police are looking for. Usually if you come up on a Friday, you're pretty much hooped. Good news if you love camping in B.C. parks, where you'll find hundreds of new spots. You're watching Global B.C. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. Chris and Sophie are off tonight. There's renewed anticipation and excitement around the replacement project for the aging Massey Tunnel. That's because the Premier dropped a big hint today about what will be built to replace the structure that's become a a notorious bottleneck for commuters. Jordan Armstrong has the details. It's the Massey Tunnel's 60th birthday, and the only people throwing a party are the ones who want to see it retire before age 65. Happy 60th, Massey. Sorry about the 60-minute wait. 80,000 vehicles every single day stuck in this uh, bottleneck. It's the largest parking lot in British Columbia. This new crossing was to be a tunnel. That was the plan in the late 1950s, and it seems to be the plan again today. The previous government's dream of a 10-lane bridge is dead in the water. Now the Horgan NDP and local mayors are only talking tunnel. I'm very excited that the mayor's council, particularly uh, Delta, Richmond, uh, have uh, come to an agreement that the best way forward would be uh, to twin the tunnel significantly less cost than the proposal that was on the table uh, prior to the election. Mayor Malcolm Brody says Richmond Council has long supported fixing and twinning the existing tunnel. But he adds the regional mayors are open to a second option, one that also involves a tunnel. It sounds like there may be advantages to a deep board tunnel because you're not touching the river, therefore you can avoid a lot of environmental challenges. If the project can be spared a long environmental assessment, Brody hopes relief for commuters is only six or seven years away. I would like to think 2025, uh, 2026. The B.C. government had earlier pledged to study replacement options for another 17 months, but it appears the premier now favours an accelerated timeline. I think we can get going on this quite quickly. There's a lot of money involved, but we know that this is one of the significant congestion points in the region, and we want to do our best to fix that. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. All right, Keith Baldry joins us live from Victoria with more on the federal funding component for this Mm -hmm. project. And Keith, what might that entail? Yeah, that's another thing that just came out of the blue today, Jay, is from the Premier's lips uh, talking in detail about the fact that his government has actually already talked to the feds about this very project. And why the feds could become involved here, unlike the bridge uh, option, there's no tolls here and the feds don't like tolls and wish they could be a partner. Here's the Premier on that point. Uh, We have talked to the federal government who would not participate in the former Massey plan because there was tolls involved. So now that we have an opportunity to get a federal partner, we have unanimity at the mayor's council. I think there's every possibility that we can get started on this in, in a more timely way than would have been there otherwise. Now, details are still sketchy, and so is the timeline, but everything seems to be coming together here, and you've got a federal election on the horizon in October. What better photo op than Justin Trudeau standing there with John Horgan pledging to each other uh, hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars of funding to solve and get rid of the worst traffic congestion in the entire province? All right, Keith Baldry in Victoria. Thanks very much, Keith.
To Abbotsford now, where police are looking for a suspect who backed up a minivan against a home and intentionally set it on fire. It happened early this morning as a family of five, including a child, were fast asleep. Our Sarah McDonald is live with more on this disturbing case. And Sarah, were there any injuries here? Well, and no serious injuries, but five people inside the house behind me were hospitalized overnight. The damage for the most part has since been boarded up, but the hunt for a suspected arsonist remains in full swing tonight. That vehicle on the right side of your screen is just moments away from bursting into flames and endangering the lives of five people. Listen as its driver reverses the van into the front of that family home with force exits the vehicle and appears to lock it before it explodes. He flew down the street, parked in someone's driveway, and then there was a boom. It looked like it was intentional. Abbotsford police confirming Thursday this is being investigated as an act of arson that could have ended with dire consequences. The Abbotsford police investigators are currently speaking to witnesses, the residents, collecting CCTV and trying to follow up with the registered owner of the van as to what all their connection is and a possible motive. Four adults and one child hospitalized for smoke inhalation and one burn injury. All five of them inside that house just after three in the morning. When somebody set fire to accelerant inside this vehicle and fled the scene. Smoke and flames from that explosion visible from blocks away. We've had small incidents, but nothing, nothing is nature. But residents we spoke with say the incident doesn't exactly surprise them painting a picture of conflict and rising tensions within this otherwise quiet neighborhood. I just like it to stop. We all want it to stop. Uh, everybody's on edge about things and that, and you feel like a prisoner in your own neighborhood. Police now searching for a motive and the male suspect thought to be behind the wheel, who fled on foot moments after flames erupted, wearing a hooded sweatshirt, jeans, and dark shoes. There's a lot of children in this neighborhood, my children included, and they were pretty scared. That suspect long gone by the time fire crews arrived on scene and extinguished those flames that had already spread to this house, believed to be targeted. And exactly why it may have been targeted remains the big question tonight. Police are still working to determine any connection between the suspect in this case and that house and its occupants. And Jay, any witnesses or anyone with information is asked to come forward. So frightening for residents. Thank you, Sarah. Sarah McDonald in Abbotsford this evening. A pretrial hearing today for Oscar Arfman, the man accused of killing an Abbotsford police officer. Arfman appeared in B.C. Supreme Court in New West this morning. The 65-year-old has been charged with first-degree murder in connection with the death of Constable John Davidson in November of 2017. Arfman allegedly gunned down Davidson after being confronted about possibly stealing a car. Today, his lawyers confirmed his trial is still scheduled to start on Monday. The jury in the Jamie Bacon murder plot trial has begun deliberating his fate. Bacon is accused of masterminding a botched hit on an associate and longtime friend. Crown counsel has presented a case where nobody disputes who pulled the trigger, but it all hinges on whether the jury believes Bacon was pulling the strings. Jay, and the fate of Jamie Bacon now rests in the hands of a jury. Madam Justice Catherine Wedge concluding her 45 pages of instructions to the jury on Bacon's one count of counseling to commit murder. This trial really hinges on the testimony of two witnesses, both of whom are 
alleged to have lured and then shot Bacon associate Dennis Karbovnik on New Year's Eve of 2008. Crown argues the two witnesses' testimony should be believed in this case. The testimony cor corroborates each other and then physical evidence found at the scene matches what the witnesses testified in court. Defense counters by saying these two witnesses' testimonies are simply unreliable. They've only come forward now because they were being fingered for the crime anyway, and they're bringing in Jamie Bacon's name to minimize their own role in the crime. The jury will begin deliberation this afternoon into this evening. If convicted, Jamie Bacon faces potentially the same sentence as if he had carried out the crime himself. Jay, and back to you. Aaron MacArthur reporting. Richmond RCMP need the public's help after a hit and run that's left a senior in hospital with serious injuries. RCMP say the senior was crossing the street with his wife in the area of Gilbert Road and Blundell Road around 8 this morning when he was struck. Fortunately, his wife escaped injury. Investigators believe the suspect vehicle to be a dark-colored sedan that now has signs of damage. Anyone who may have witnessed the hit and run or who was driving in the area at the time and may have dash cam footage is asked to contact Richmond RCMP. Surrey residents are getting their first chance to weigh in on that city's plans for a new civic police force. And while there are many questions about what it will look like, as Jill Bennett tells us, the bigger concern for many is how the city plans on paying for it all. When are we the citizens of Surrey going to be told anything? Surrey residents arrived armed with questions. There's more info, there's more info coming out about costs, about the transition. But they didn't walk away with all of the answers from the first public consultation on the proposed new police force in that city. It's going to impact this the city taxpayer profoundly. And I, for the mayor to have suggested, or can, if he continues to suggest, it's only going to cost the taxpayer a little more for their own police force, I think is folly. I'm concerned about costs and I'm concerned about what exactly is it going to give us over and above what the RCMP already does. Many residents also wanted to know why a confidential report on the policing transition, which has been handed to the provincial government for review, hasn't been released to the public. Surrey City Councillor Linda Annis says council was given just one hour to read the 200-plus pages, and what she saw was shocking. Cost absolutely concerns me. We had the Vancouver Police Department to develop our model for us. We're 85% of the size of Vancouver population-wise. We have 840. So if you do the math, we need roughly 300 more members and that's not going to come cheaply. We now have a report. I don't know what's in it. I don't think the people of Surrey know what's in it. And so we'll just have to see how the consultation unfolds. There will be more than a dozen consultation sessions like this one and likely more pushback to keep the RCMP. They've already got the relationships with the community. They've already built those relationships. Starting over doesn't work. A final decision on whether or not Surrey shifts to a civic force will be made by BC's Solicitor General. Mike Farnworth could also release the confidential report, giving people the information they are clearly asking for. Jill Bennett, Global News. More questions tonight about the future of health care in this province and the role private clinics play. The number of private clinics in the province has shrunk in recent years and now part of one of BC's most well-known private clinics is also going up for sale. Nadia Stewart has more. It's the kind of news that would go unnoticed, but a mention in the quarterly report by the owners of Falls Creek Healthcare Center to refocus the company is making headlines in Vancouver. 
In a statement, parent company Centric Health Corporation says it has no intentions of shutting down its False Creek facility. But Centric does confirm they are contemplating the potential divestiture of assets that are not core to their focus on seniors' health care services. In other words, they're considering selling. Like a lot of the healthcare system, it's private deliver and public pay. At an announcement Thursday for a new MRI machine in Surrey, Health Minister Adrian Dick says he has not been made aware of any potential sale. We, we certainly haven't been informed directly by anyone that the that uh, False Creek Surgical Center is for sale. And, of course, it's, uh, it's a private clinic and they have every right to, to sell. And uh, it's an interesting story, but really it's not, uh, not that relevant to us. What is relevant to the ministry is the ongoing battle over public versus private care. Doctors have been voicing concerns over government attempts to restrict operations, while the NDP argues it's illegal for clinics and physicians to charge patients for operations covered by universal health care. As the debate continues to deepen, Dr. Brian Day and others maintain the NDP government is engaged in another battle, an ideological one. Still, Centric President and CEO David Murphy says the company's latest move is not driven by the facility's performance or the current political climate. Nadia Stork, Global News. Dramatic video from Rome where fire forces a man onto the ledge of his apartment building. We'll show you how this one ended later. And the deadly mistake an Oregon college student made to get that perfect picture from a scenic lookout. That's also ahead. Well, the summer camping season is right around the corner, and there's some good news for those who have been shut out in recent years due to overwhelming demand. The province is adding hundreds of new camping spots to B.C. parks. Jennifer Palma explains where you'll find them and how soon you can start making reservations. Four-year-old Ryland loves being outdoors, having fun. What's the best thing about camping? Marshmallows and, and the fire and my and I love my chair. But getting a campsite can be challenging. Especially with uh, provincial parks around this area, t trying to find a spot last minute for sure. We've found a couple times where we've been on the side of the road. <laughs> Usually if you come up on a Friday, you're pretty much hooped because everybody's already up Thursday or the Wednesday and trying to reserve spots and stuff. To help you find a campsite this summer, the province has added 594 new sites to the high-demand areas in B.C. parks. 13 campgrounds in B.C. parks will have 362 new sites, and there'll be 232 new sites and 12 recreation sites. Golden Ears Park has the most sites added at 65, like these 20 new walk-in sites. However, is it enough? The announcement comes during RV and Camping Week. People can't get into the park that they want to, and so we're actually excited about the expansion because it allows a little bit more choice. Last year, there was a petition going around with people upset that they couldn't get a spot here at Golden Ears. However, the government says they took into account that petition, and now there's 15% of sites here at Gold Creek available for the public on a first-come, first-served basis. What we want in the end is a way for uh, people not to have to spend uh, time in lineups on the hope that they can get in on a standby. And one of the keys to that is uh, improving our, um, our real-time online uh, uh, reservation system. Some sites are under construction. Check the BC Parks website for updates. As for reservations, they're underway and filling up fast. The province says for the third year in a row, they're not increasing fees. Jennifer Palma, Global News.
Now to an important weather alert. There's a risk of localized flash flooding tonight. Meteorologist Chrissy Gordon joins us with the details. And Chrissy, where could we see all of this? The areas we're concerned about, Anne, is the Fraser Canyon extending to South Thompson, uh, the Nicola region, and down through the Smilkmean, and also the Okanagan Valley. The concern is we've had an extended period of dry weather, and now we're going to see periods of rain, and at times that will be heavy. And we also have the potential for thunderstorms, and as we well know, in thunderstorms you can get really intense rain. So up to 30 millimeters of rain is possible in some of, the, some of these areas in a very short amount of time, and because the weather has been so dry, it won't be able to absorb the, uh, the ground won't be able to, able to absorb that moisture. The areas I'm really concerned about are from Lillooet down to Hope, extending into Merritt and Kamloops. When I come back, I'll show you when we can expect the worst of it. All right, thank you very much, Christy. Residents of a Maple Ridge neighborhood are upset at how BC conservation officers and their neighbors are handling bears in their area. As John Wall reports, they say while some residents aren't bear aware enough, officers are being too aggressive in killing or relocating the animals. Living in the neighborhood of Silver Valley is like having a subscription to the Nature Channel. Bear sightings happening on a daily basis right in their own backyard. We love living here and we knew moving here we were moving into the wilderness. But recently bear encounters have ended in bloodshed. This video taken last week showing a bear that was shot and killed being loaded onto a truck by BC Conservation. People have heard those gunshots and people are actually stressed from it. It's just something we don't like to hear in our neighborhood. The BC Conservation Officers Service confirming three bears were destroyed in the area since May 3rd. Another three relocated a short distance away. It's just like your heart just dies. It's just, it's the most wrenching thing that you can't imagine. Yeah, there was actually one right behind our fence earlier today. Residents are now banding together, hoping to make BC Conservation adopt a no-kill bear mandate in Maple Ridge. Clearly something's not working here and we're losing a lot of bears. In a statement, BC Conservation writes, while the COS puts considerable effort into preventing and responding to bear conflicts, including the use of non-lethal response options where appropriate. It does not follow a no-kill mandate in any communities across the province. BC Conservation, like, let's, let's take a step back here. Let's try and get our public educated a little bit more here. That includes educating neighbours about what's attracting the bears, like garbage, unwashed recycling bins and bird feeders. I think we have a, a symptom here, which is the killing of the bears, and we need to find the causes. While the viewing subscription to these wild animals is free for Silver Valley, residents say they can't stand by and watch as bears pay the ultimate price. John Hua, Global News. A water main break causing problems tonight for some residents of the Okanagan community lake country. The pipe ruptured when it was hit by a construction crew turning Mountain View Avenue into a river and flooding a good portion of the neighborhood. The rushing water also washing away a road, burying two vehicles beneath debris. Officials are worried that the debris and silt getting into pipes at the location of the break could contaminate other pipes. And so a boil water notice has been issued for the area, effective until next week. A frightening sight in Rome where a man is forced to escape to a narrow ledge when fire rips through his building. With flames shooting out one window and black smoke pouring out another, firefighters scramble to get to the man before the fire breaks through the walls. 
The crowd breaks into applause when he's safe, and it appears he wasn't seriously injured. Well, it's happened again, a preventable tragedy, this time in Oregon. Police there say a college student fell to her death while trying to snap a photo. As beautiful as it is dangerous, it's here along the Oregon coast outside Portland where a 21-year-old college student fell to her death while taking a photo. Police say Michelle Casey climbed over a retaining wall for a better view, slipped and plunged 10 stories. When rescue teams reached Casey, she was still breathing after hitting a tree that broke her fall. It's very steep, it's very treacherous if you do cross over that boundary. A sophomore at nearby Oregon State University, Casey's death is the latest in a string of accidents involving risky photos. At national parks and along popular hiking trails and vistas, officials are reporting a growing number of deaths from those seeking that perfect picture. He was standing on the edge and they wonder why there's deaths. According to one study, more than 259 people died taking selfies in recent years. Tristan Bailey fell 50 feet off a bridge in Texas while attempting one. If I would have stopped him, you know, using my brain on that bridge, I wouldn't be here. Tonight, back in Oregon, officials are pleading for caution along their picturesque coast, warning the view of a lifetime isn't worth dying over. Miguel Almaguer, NBC News. More than 60 aviation officials from more than 30 countries are meeting in Texas trying to decide the future of Boeing's troubled 737 MAX jets. With nearly 400 MAX planes still grounded, the regulators are facing the challenge of ensuring the jets are safe to fly. Boeing has told aviation officials from more than 30 countries that it's completed a software fix for an automated system that's believed to have contributed to the crashes that killed 346 people. But at this point, there is is no timeline for the planes to resume flights. While BC still waits for ride sharing, Uber has taken its service to the next level or depth as the case may be. The Australian state of Queensland teaming up with the company to launch Scuber, a rideshare submarine on the Great Barrier Reef. It's actually a sightseeing service, but passengers will be able to book the experience through the Uber app, be picked up from their location and flown via helicopter to Heron Island, where they'll board the submarine. The service will be available from May 27th to June 18th and will cost just under $3,000. That's Canadian for two people. Well, it would be quite an experience, I suppose. In Health Matters tonight, the Vancouver Island city of Esquimalt is the latest B.C. community struggling with a doctor shortage. The city has just one full-time and one part-time doctor for its 19,000 residents. And council is considering everything from tax breaks to selling its quality of life to attract more. It has ocean views, parks, and relatively affordable real estate. All of it located just outside Victoria. But the one thing the township of Esquimalt doesn't have is doctors. Two doctors looking after 19,000 people, that's a crisis. Up until this year, five doctors were serving the community. But when a walk-in clinic closed in December, three doctors went with it, leaving only two remaining, one full-time and one part-time and thousands of patients scrambling for care. And unfortunately, it is one of the things that's uh, impacted my health. The quantity of doctors gets a lot smaller as the population gets bigger and... I just think it stinks. 
feel around the head for mayor and council are now looking at ways to attract more doctors to the area several suggestions have been made including providing salary incentives and municipal tax breaks as well as increasing the available clinic space we have to actively go out and help to uh, market to general practitioners wanting to practice um, and make them know about our community According to the Ministry of Health, in a community of this size, roughly 30 doctors is what's recommended. In a statement, it said, the Ministry of Health is actively working with our partners at Island Health, the divisions of family practice, and the local government to bring about more primary care supports to Esquimalt. The mayor says it would be a worthy investment, as residents are opting to go to the ER or put their health concerns on hold altogether, what's costing the system far more in the long run. We need to act on it. Uh, and we need to work hard to get those physicians in here. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Esquimalt. Both many municipalities struggling with the legal and political complications of banning plastic bags. Business owners in Horseshoe Bay are taking matters into their own hands. As Linda Aylesworth reports, they're aiming to become the first business community in Metro Vancouver to become plastic bag free. The idyllic seaside village of Horseshoe Bay in West Vancouver attracts residents and visitors who appreciate nature. The perfect place for a one-of-a-kind initiative. This is the first business community um, in British Columbia that's moving towards having no single-use plastic bags. Alison Wood, co-founder of Ocean Ambassadors, knew the fastest way to achieve the goal was by bypassing government and shopping the idea around to individual businesses. How are you doing? Good, how are you? So good. She was right. So we have um, 33 businesses and 28 um, are fully on board. And the other businesses are working towards going plastic bag free. But making the switch to more sustainable options is costly. Plastic bags only cost about three cents. If you go to a paper bag, it can be anywhere from 13 to 15 cents. And then if you go into a cloth bag, that can run $2 a bag. You do take a little bit of a hit, but it's still the right thing to do. So it's worth it. But when you're part of a closely knit community, the hit doesn't have to be quite so hard. So when you have all the businesses wanting to buy into an initiative together, then you have the buying power that can reduce those costs. The local business association is jump-starting the transition by distributing 1,000 paper bags. But at the community liquor store, they often need hardier bags. Being a small store, I don't have a huge budget to be able to buy these bags, and then all of a sudden you charge the customer. She's come up with some alternatives, and so has the business association, purchasing reusable bags like these in bulk. So if a bag is $2, somewhere between $0.25 cents to $0.50 cents will be their merchant's cost, the rest will be ours. Horseshoe Bay hopes to lead by example. If they can do it, any community can. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Well, it looks like just another art installation at a show after the forecast why the police ordered it taken down. An intriguing contemporary art story with a twist. <laughs> Stay very, tuned. Very interesting, yes. Well, it was a beautiful day yeah, out absolutely. there across the Lower Mainland, but we know it's not the case in other parts of the province. That's right, and it won't be for our area as well tomorrow. And quite stormy weather on the way. I talked about this earlier. The areas we're concerned about, Cache Creek, right through the Fraser Ga Canyon, over into the South Thompson and the Nicola region. And the time period I'm concerned about are while people are asleep. So overnight is when we could see the most intense 
intense rain. So I really urge people to tell their neighbors, people that may not know about this, that what we'll be watching is for some localized flooding, possible flash floods and uh, landslides. And the rain will continue through the morning hours tomorrow, potentially not easing up until the early afternoon hours. Quick reminders for you in a flood situation, move to higher ground. Don't attempt to drive through flooded roads and 30 centimeters of water can actually float vehicles. Now, it's not only the rain that we're concerned about, it's the lightning. We've had thousands of lightning strikes across the province today. In one 15-minute period, we had 133 strikes and even a thunderstorm through the Fraser Valley just in the Cache Creek, or sorry, not Cache Creek, uh, the Agassiz area north of uh, uh, Chilliwack. So that potential will last through the overnight period and we'll see it again tomorrow. So it is tinder dry out there. I really urge people because of all the lightning strikes, if you see a fire or if you see smoke, call star 555. That's four fives or 1-800-663-45s to alert the uh, officials about the potential of more fires because the lightning will happen again tomorrow from the BC Peace River area right through the central interior and southern BC as well. We have a risk even through the Fraser Valley across our region. Now for Metro Vancouver tomorrow will be a soggy one and a whole bunch cooler than what we saw today. We're even expecting rain into Saturday morning, but hopefully Saturday late day and into our Sunday, that's when the sun returns. All right, turning around. Thanks very much, Christy. Well, guerrilla artist Banksy has done it again. This time he's caused a stir at one of the world's most prestigious art shows. An Instagram video shows someone, possibly Banksy himself, because we never see his face, setting up at the Venice Art Festival. Venice in oil depicts a huge cruise ship in one of the city's canals surrounded by gondola boats. Problem is, Banksy wasn't invited to the show. He crashed it. Police finally appear and order the pieces to be taken down. The message of the work isn't clear. Some speculate it's either a satire on bringing huge cruise ships into Venice or a comment on the global plight of refugees. Possibly Banksy. Mm. Crashing. Know. I, like, I like his style. I like the cut of his jib. Yeah, that would be Banksy <laughs> being Banksy, right? That's just him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Breaking news and a sign that the battle over horse-drawn carriages in BC's capital city is heating up. People in them are smiling, and the people who are driving them are smiling, and the horses are prancing and they're happy. Victoria Council is considering rather a motion to phase out the service by 2023, but hundreds of supporters of the industry are rallying, as you can see, outside City Hall tonight, calling on the city to scrap the idea. City staff will report to Council in September. The carriage companies are threatening to sue the city for millions in damages if Council moves to ban their operations. We'll have more on that story tonight on Global News at 11. All right, as mentioned, Chris, Sophie and Squire off tonight hosting the BC Sports Hall of Fame Induction Gala. That's right, it's about to get underway, so let's throw it down to them for a preview of the inductees. Well, thanks, guys. We are at the Vancouver Convention Centre with, I don't know, eight or 900 of our closest friends for the 50th anniversary of the BC Sports Hall of Fame Gala with some incredible inductees tonight. The three of us... Uh, got the hall pass from from work today. That's right. We've, we've left Christy and the crew back there to handle yeah. everything, but we're so excited to be here. Some more great inductees into the Sports Hall of Fame, including, but not limited to, of course, Daniel and Henrik Sedin. Mm -hmm. Daniel and Henrik Sedin are the big names, but there are others. We did the story the other day on Tony Waiters. Mm -hmm. He's going in, the former Whitecaps coach and manager. I just talked to uh, Roy Jarella. 
Now, old NFL fans will know this. Roy Durello is a kicker for the Pittsburgh Steelers, the only Canadian to win three Super Bowls. From Powell oh. River, yes. Amazing, and he had his own fan group too. He that had we're his own find fan called Gorillas Gorillas, yes. Which would make me think that his name is pronounced Gorilla, but it's not. I know. Okay. They must have thought so too. <laughs> but how many kickers have their own fan club? Very few. So other familiar names, uh, of course, Ron Toygo, yep. uh, Emily Bryden. Yes, and and Ken Holland, who just became the general manager of the Edmonton Oilers, who's a Vernon boy, ran the Red Wings for years. Three, four Stanley Cups, and a and a very quick shout out to my to my girl Kelly McCallum in rugby, who has just hung around and hung around, and then became a superstar for BC and rugby and Canada as well. So great crowd here. It's a massive fundraiser for the Sports Hall of Fame. If you get a chance to support it, please do. Absolutely. Back to you guys. All right. Thanks very much. It really is an incredible induction class going in this year, and we'll have uh, some sights and sounds tonight on the late news as well. All right, uh, wow, that was quite a finish today. Yes, you couldn't have, I mean, Canada scored with, what, 1.8 seconds left against yeah. Slovakia. So the, they're the cardiac kids there, <laughs> there in Slovakia. Thanks very much, guys. So with uh, still four more days until the Stanley Cup Finals open in Boston, the uh, hockey fix comes from Slovakia in the World Hockey Championships. Canada took on Switzerland in the quarters today. The Swiss have given Canada fits in this tournament, knocking them off last year in the semifinals. And it took a miraculous finish for Canada today to avoid another massive upset. Canada and Matt Murray coming off one of their best outings, 3-0 shutout of the USA the other day, but the Swiss took advantage of their few opportunities. Sven Andraghetto with the screenshot finds the corner, 1-0 Swiss after one. They've got some good NHL players on that Swiss squad. Second period, Coquitlam's Dante Fabro with the shot, Mark Stone, hands of stone in a good way. Perfect deflection in front, ties it at one, but with just moments to go in the second, another Swiss power play, and another goal, Nico Heischer, Hammers it in from close range. 2-1 Switzerland after two. Canada pressured all period long, but took it down literally to the last moment as former Kelowna Rocket Cam Severson's second shot will squeeze through Leonardo Giannone. How close was it to not counting? 0.4 seconds. Check out the reaction from the fans. That's Canada. You'd expect the Swiss. Uh, not as much. So we need overtime, and it's Pierre-Luc Dubois with a great feed to Mark Stone, who will tip in the game winner. Stone is the leader of this team. The great escape for Canada. They live to play another day. They'll meet the Czech Republic in the semis Saturday at 10.15 our time. Meanwhile, Sweden and Finland, these two Scandinavian rivals, did not disappoint. Elias Pettersson flashing the form. Canucks fans hope to see again next year. Look at that little stutter move and then whips the wrister under the bar. A great goal for Pettersson. And the Swedes were in control. They were up 3-1. They were up 4-3 late. But with the Finns with an extra attacker off the scramble, captain Marco Antia ties it 4-4. And we're going to overtime, just like Canada-Switzerland. Just 97 seconds in, Finns on the break. Sakari Mananin, that is a perfect snipe past Henrik Lundqvist. And the Finns are moving on to the semifinals as they beat the Swedes 5-4. The other quarterfinal, Russia-USA, big red machine, 7-0 so far, stacked with Ovechkin, Malkin, Kucherov, among others. There was only 3-2 Russia, though, in the third. Mikhail Grigorenko gives them a little bit of a cushion, 4-2 over Corey Schneider in the U.S. USA still battling, get one back under three to go. Alex Dabrinkat will score there, but they fall a goal short. Russia wins 4-3, so they will meet Finland in the other semifinal Saturday. 
The Lions have been working hard at training camp in Kamloops for the past five days. They play their first of two preseason games Sunday afternoon in Edmonton. Many changes, of course, for the Lions on offense. Manny Arsenault is gone, but in his place, Deron Carter could turn out to be a go-to guy. Man, I, I bring energy, you know. Uh, I, I feel like uh, with my style of play, uh, I can score really quickly. And, you know, when, when things are going down, you know, I, I like to be that guy that gives us that jolt of energy or be that lightning bolt and, and just a whole bunch of energy. And, and being matched up with Mike Riley, uh, I know that he's going to match my energy every time. Going to be an interesting year with Deron yeah. Carter. I can feel it. The uh, second Grand Slam of the tennis season begins Sunday in Paris, but Milos Raonic won't be there. Surprise, surprise. The world number 18 forced out due to another injury, a knee injury that's kept him off court for two months. Milos hopes to be ready for Wimbledon. Meanwhile, Felix Auger-Aliassime, the 18-year-old, is into the semifinals at a tune-up in Lyon, France. Denis Shapovalov lost his quarterfinal match. On court now, the pivotal Game 5. Raptors-Bucks from Milwaukee. Home team has won all the games so far. And right on cue, the Bucks really came out strong. Giannis to Brook Lopez for the uncontested dunk. Milwaukee led by as many as 16 in the first quarter. But the Raps... Got off to the terrible shooting start, except for Kawhi. Nine of the first 12 points, including that little step in and layup. Moving much better than he was in game four, so that's positive. Still down 10 after one, but great defense. Milwaukee had just two points in the quarter for the first seven minutes, and then the bench coming through like they did in game four. Freddie Van Vliet with the three. They'll need the bench strength again tonight. Hey, where's Drake during all this? Well, he's about to make an appearance. Kawhi with the jumper, and Drake is leading the cheer back at Jurassic Park in Toronto. He is not welcome in Milwaukee. 49-46 at the half, but Raptors are right in this, so it should be a good finish This tonight. wouldn't be right without a Drake no, cameo no, right? at some point. Drake's getting game. a lot of attention in Milwaukee. They do not like him That's there. right. Up on the seat, our yeah, office yeah. seat on the floor. All right, a rude awakening to say the least for an Okanagan woman, a black bear breaking up next. But first, here's Kasha Badurka with five things to do with your family. Kasha. In these five things, we explore some new events and long-time running traditions like the new Westminster Hayak International Parade and Festival. It's the highlight of the year and one of the province's largest parades with over 100 floats and groups represented. It's all happening at 11 a.m. Saturday. Meanwhile, in Cloverdale, the anticipated market days are back in historic downtown. Once again, you can expect a wide range of interesting local vendors, food trucks, and an exciting lineup of performers. No shortage of fun on the island with the Selkirk Waterfront Festival happening Sunday. A fun-filled multicultural family event featuring a fun zone, world cuisine in the international food court, live music, dancing, and a colorful street market. That's at Selkirk Green Park, Victoria. Now, did you know there are over 50 varieties of root beer? Well, try them all on Saturday at the Root Beer Festival at Douglas Park Langley. A celebration of everything root beer, including root beer ice cream and candy. Seven-time Grammy Award-winning Carrie Underwood takes the stage of Rogers Arena Saturday night. The Cry Pretty Tour 360 features a stage in the middle of the arena featuring a 360-degree platform for fans on all sides to enjoy. For more, go to globalnews.ca slash five things. Coming up on ET Canada, Drake reacts to his critics about his courtside antics at the Raptors game. Plus, Tony Robbins responds to his sexual misconduct allegations. All of that is coming up at 7 right after the news hour. For now, it's back to you. 
As wild animal sightings go, it doesn't get any more shocking than this. That's right, a Peachland woman awoken by loud noises coming face to face with a black bear inside her home. So this is the freezer that the bear got into, took it, flipped it right over. It was a visitor Colleen Lindley will never forget. Early Saturday morning, a bear broke into her Peachland home. I had cases of meat pies, and but the other one was in kind of a bag, and so it did its shopping and took the, the whole case. Lindley, along with her husband and her sister, who was visiting from out of town, were upstairs sleeping. Her sister roused when she heard a loud bang. The bang was from the freezer being knocked over. Lindley's sister went to investigate, totally unprepared for what she was about to see. This large black bear standing just feet away from her. Shocking, you don't believe it at first, but I mean, it was quite at home. It didn't, how he knew to go into that room, I'm not sure, but he maybe could smell them, I don't know. The bear got into the house through this lower level back patio door. Lindley suspects a loose latch may be to blame. After confronting the bear, Lindley's sister ran upstairs to alert Lindley and her husband. When they got back down, the bear had made its way out the same door it came in, enjoying the remainder of its meat pie breakfast in her backyard. Laid on the stairs there and ate the whole thing in front of us. Lindley plans on being extra careful, making sure all her doors are now properly locked to prevent any more unwanted intruders. Claudia Van Emmer, Global News, Peachland. Delicious meat pies. They are. Big I mean, attractant. You can't fault the bear. They are so good, right? <laughs> was there a shot of the bear licking its lips? Oh, yeah. Standing over the meat pies. Okay, While they I watched. thought I saw that. While they watched. Yeah, his picnic Cheeky. basket, right? <laughs> Just plowed through those things. Yeah. Uh, one last look at the weather. I know we're expecting sure. some wild weather tonight. Yeah, the concern is for areas east of Hope. Overnight tonight, heavy rain, thunderstorms. For our region, a big drop in temperature tomorrow from mid-20s today in sunshine. You'll feel the chill tomorrow, so don't leave home without a rain jacket or a sweater. Uh, potentially a little bit more rain on Saturday also, but we'll salvage the last half of the weekend. Right, sounds good. Thanks for watching, everyone. Good night.